church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, a healing service. We are not going to do the Lord's Supper today because in many ways healing and anointing with oil, prayer for those who are sick and in trouble is a kind of sacrament. It is a means of encountering God's grace. So I'm going to speak relatively briefly. Um, we are then going to sing and bring the service to a close for those of you um, who don't feel that you want to participate in the prayer and the healing service afterwards. And then we will, those who would like prayer, those who would like to be anointed by the elders, we're going to create some prayer circles, three on that side, three on that side. Members of our diaconate, uh, elders will be there to receive you, to pray for you, and if you would like to be anointed, that will be available too. So as we go through this passage, which is the basis for our prayer service, think about what you want to bring to God in that prayer time. Think about, if you've never done it before, think about perhaps staying for the first time and in faith coming to God and asking for healing. So this is um, the book of James. It's actually a letter that James wrote. And it is associated, you know, most of the letters, most of the books of the Bible don't have the authorship there. It is associated with Jesus' brother, James. After Jesus' resurrection, after his return to the Father, the beginning of the Christian church as it began to spread, James became one of the major lead leaders in Jerusalem. So this letter was written perhaps seven, ten years after his resurrection. And this was James as one of the disciples ministering in Jesus' name. And the book, the letter, is based on his experience, watching the power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst the people that he was ministering to. And this is what he writes. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. You'll notice that uh, James refers to elders. The Greek word for elders is presbyteroi. It is where we get the name Presbyterian from. Presbyterian means rule by elders. This church is not run by me. I'm not like this uh, glorious pastor who has power of life and death over everyone. I am one elder amongst a group of elders um, because we Presbyterians believe that people like me are sinful and prone to be wicked. And therefore, we always surround leaders with other leaders to keep them under control, to guide them, to advise them so that the uh, the leadership of the church is never entrusted just to one person. And this passage is actually the only specific command to elders. If anyone is sick, 
You should bring your sickness to the leaders of the church, to the elders, and be anointed. And notice it doesn't talk about special charismatic gifts of the leaders of the church. This is a question of authority. Healing is not magic. It is the devolved or the lent power of Jesus to his church through the Holy Spirit, operating through the leaders of the church to heal people within the church. It is the power of the Lord of life released through prayer. And that's why we do it. Because Jesus himself, well, first of all, he tells us to do it, and this is how he began his ministry. In the book of Acts, which is where the history book of the church, we read this about Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So the issue is power. The issue is authority. The fact that Jesus is Lord, Lord of life, Lord of death, and the church receives through the Holy Spirit the authority to minister in his name. Prayer is always in Jesus' name. Healing is always in Jesus' name. So why was Jesus a healer? Why did he spend so much time doing it? We can think of healing, and in fact, you can think of all the miracles of Jesus. They're not just random acts of power. They're not just to show off. They're not just to impress people. Jesus is Lord. When he began his ministry, he said, The kingdom of God is here, and I'm the king. And what does the kingdom of God look like? In the kingdom of God, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no misery. And so you can think of miracles and healing and everything else that Jesus did as glimpses of the future. It is the future kingdom of God breaking in to our world, our broken world. It is a glimpse of what a world with Jesus as Lord looks like. Because when Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is Lord, there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no misery. Because he is the Lord of life. And so when we anoint each other with oil, when we pray for each other, what we're really doing is acting out our faith. We are saying, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is your Lord. Healing, healing prayer, all prayer is an act of faith. Putting our faith not in ourselves, not in the person praying, but in the one that the prayers are appointed to. So what is faith all about? Some of you have heard this story. One of my favorite stories of faith. When I was uh, a kid in England, we had, uh, for a while, they were a, a pain, and we, we eventually had to get rid of them. We had two geese, and um, when I was a, a child, it was amazing. They would sit at our window and look and watch TV over our shoulders. They, they were fascinated by TV. 
But they didn't like us. When we went out, they would, they would run away, except when our dogs went out, and they would hiss, and they would chase them. But we were scared of them. They were quite aggressive, and if you went near them, they'd come at you. So it was kind of a weird relationship. But they had one weakness. Um, our next-door neighbor, they had an elaborate vegetable garden. They tried to grow much of their own vegetables in their garden. And our geese spent their entire existence trying to break through the fence. It was like this big, uh, overgrown rhododendron, set of rhododendron bushes. And they would try to break through. And the neighbors had put elaborate fences and wire and, and uh, fishing line to try to stop them. Um, so one time we're at dinner, and we hear this hysterical hissing and, and flapping of wings and actually tapping on the door. And it's one of the geese. And clearly distressed. So we follow the, the, the goose down to the bottom of the garden. And her mate had got tangled up in this wire in the, in the fence, in the hedge. And was actually being strangled. It was around the neck and it was around the wings. And uh, clearly almost dying, weak, limp. And her mate, uh, his mate, was hysterical. So it's dark, and it took a while, and we uh, slowly hauled the, uh, the goose out and tried to get all the wires off the wings without breaking any feathers and, uh, of course, undid the neck. It took us a while, and all the time, the other goose stood there watching, intently watching us, completely silent, just stood there watching us as we untangled her mate. Now, the, the Bible says that faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. How much faith is contained in a small, desperate goose? Is a goose's faith bigger than a mustard seed? That goose put her faith in us because she couldn't untangle our mate. And somehow she knew to come and find us and bring us down and stood silently watching us untangle her mate And she was right. How much faith did that goose have? It wasn't the amount. It was the direction. The goose put her faith in us. And we were faithful. We were able to release her mate, and everything was good. Faith is a direction. Not how much. Not how good you are. It's a direction. Where do you put your faith? And Christianity says, when you put your faith in the Lord, when you orient yourself to him in that direction, he's going to take care of you because he is Lord. And anything you ask in his name, he will do. And that's what we're doing when we pray for each other when we're sick. We're asking in faith the Lord of life to heal those that we love. And remember, this is not some kind of competition with medical science or doctors or hospitals. The Bible says that human beings have dominion over the world. That means they have responsibility over the world. And the broken world is our responsibility. Human doctors, medicine, surgery, hospitals, these are all good things. They are all things that human beings are responsible for. They're all things that we should encourage and participate in. 
But there are things that bring us to a full stop. We do not have full authority over the world, even our own bodies. Sickness is us losing control of our bodies. When things start to hurt and ache, when things stop working, it's like a rebellion. Our bodies are no longer completely ours. We are no longer completely safe and at home in our own bodies. And it's a reminder, it's a glimpse of a terrible reality. Our bodies are finite. Our life will come to an end if we leave it to ourselves, no matter how clever our doctors, no matter how good the medicine. So prayer is a call on God's authority. It is also a recognition of our frailty and the limits of our power. It's when we recognize that this is a broken world, that the misery of human suffering is overwhelming, that the ugliness and pain that we see in the world, that we see in those that we love, the tragedy and misery of death, the horror of it all, can threaten to overwhelm us. So we don't just bring our faith in healing, we bring our broken selves to God. Otherwise, the world will overwhelm us. The tragedy of a broken world, broken people, broken lives threatens to overwhelm us. We're not going to God in prayer just for some kind of magical ceremony, just for some kind of healing. We're also bringing our broken selves to the only one who can take care of us truly. When I was uh, at seminary, in a pastoral class, uh, an old pastor was telling us about this, that our job, when we met people in hospital or people who were sick, was not to be the person who had all the answers, not the person who had the clever theology, not the one that tried to explain. Our job was to bring people to God, And he told this story in his very early days, when he didn't know anything, he was sent by his church uh, to a hospital. A young couple, their child had been hit by a drunk driver. And this pastor shows up in the hospital room. And the room was abuzz with the family and visitors, but the father, sat in the room next to uh, his son. His son had died. They were about to take him away. And his father was completely sullen, didn't say a word. But he said, you could see that something was bubbling up inside him. And this anger burst out. He began to pace around through the people around the room. And he started raging. He started cursing, swearing. He actually frightened the people in the room and all the visitors. They didn't know what to do. And he cursed the driver. He cursed the teachers at the school. He cursed the police. He cursed the ambulance. He cursed the doctors. He cursed the nurses. He raged. And then suddenly he was silent. Suddenly he stopped and he was trembling, filled with passion. And although this young pastor had absolutely no idea what was going on, 
he realized what was needed at that point. He realized that the father had stopped because he was just about to curse God. And he knew that that was blasphemous. And so the pastor said, it's okay. You can curse him because what has happened is wrong. And then his father, this father, he collapsed into the the pastor's arms and he cried his heart out. When you bring your agony, your suffering, the misery of those that you love to God, you're bringing yourself, your loved ones, to the biggest, most generous, most gracious heart of all. And that is where you belong. That's where those that are sick belong. What about the oil? It's not magic. He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What is the oil all about? The oil is a visible witness of a spiritual reality. You know, when we baptize children, we baptize ourselves with water. The water points us to the Holy Spirit that washes us clean. What does the oil point us to? It points us to the anointed one. When Jesus began his ministry, he went to his synagogue, and a roll was handed to him, a roll from Isaiah, and he read it. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the roll and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and that was the source of his power, his ability to heal. Anointing is something throughout the Bible that God does and leaders do for kings, for prophets, for priests. It is a sign of God's blessing and authority. It's also something else. It's a sign of coming home. Remember how Psalm 23 ends, the Lord is my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In a sun-blasted culture, when somebody visited, you helped them clean up. You anointed them with oil so that sun-blasted skin could find relief. It was a sign of coming home to a safe place. And that's why we anoint each other. That's why we anoint with oil. Because what are we saying when we anoint somebody with oil? When we anoint a sick person with oil? We are publicly witnessing and announcing and challenging 
the powers of this broken world, the power of death, the power of evil, the power of spiritual wickedness, the devil. When we anoint someone who comes in faith, what we're saying is, this one does not belong to you, death, evil, sickness. This one belongs to God. And no matter how terrible the sickness or injury or suffering, one day, the true beauty of this person, this body, the vigor of this life will be revealed because this one is going home. How dare we be so bold? Because Jesus is Lord. He went to the cross and he suffered all the consequences of evil and pain in this world. And on the cross he said, it is finished. And he invites us in faith to what he did on that cross, to proclaim the gospel in his name. The power of death is broken. Death could not hold him. He was resurrected. And so all who put their faith in him now have a new future, a new home, a new life. That's the promise. That's what happens, that promise, every time we anoint somebody, every time we pray over someone who's sick, every time we bring someone suffering to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right now, we're going to sing together. We're going to draw this service to a close so that those who uh, would like to leave can leave. But as we sing, I want you to think about your own relationship with Jesus. And I want you to think about bringing yourself and bringing other people around you to our circles of prayer. We're going we're gonna to meet that Lord. We're going to call on his power in his name, and we're going to anoint those who want it with the own oil, with the oil of his blessing, with the oil of his presence.